Hello, my name is Ron Bowen and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I'd like to start by honouring the traditional owners of the unceded land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, we are excited to speak with Dr. Kate Regal Van West about her research on the health benefits of poi. Kate is a scientist, artist and entrepreneur with a passion for play and well-being. She completed her PhD in the health benefits of poi at the University of Auckland, where she conducted the first study to scientifically investigate the effects of poi on physical and cognitive function in older adults. She was awarded the Future Leader Award from the Royal Society of New Zealand and the Best Doctoral Thesis Award for her work in the poi slash health field. Kate shares about how she discovered poi through circus and her early life growing up in a town called Normal, a small American town with a circus history. She shares how a lack of published research was proving to be an obstacle in establishing programs in house settings, which along with the positive effects she noticed in her own brain and body, inspired her to move to Aotearoa, New Zealand, to conduct the first scientific study on the effects of poi on physical and cognitive function. In this episode, we talk about the differences between international poi and Māori poi, and some of the considerations and challenges when researching and sharing practices from another culture as well as how joining a kapahaka group has helped Kate reconnect with the joy of poi. Nice. We're really excited about the possibilities of Kate's research and the great work she's doing with Spin Poi. So let's get into our conversation. All right. Well, Kate, it's so great to finally get the chance to speak with you today. It's great to have you here online. So perhaps we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I grew up in a town called Normal, Illinois, of all things. <laughs> it's um, a small town surrounded by some cornfields in the United States, kind of sort of in the middle of the U.S. It's kind of close to Chicago, if people have heard of that place. And I went to a pretty neat school. It was a laboratory school of a university there. And at that laboratory school, there was a circus program, a youth circus program. And that was kind of my world growing up because I was definitely one of those kids, like a lot of kids who didn't fit in that well. I was, you know, athletic, but I didn't like competing. I was kind of weird. So circus just like provided a home for me to do my thing, to be myself, whoever that was. And I just, yeah, I loved it. Awesome. And is that where you discovered Poi? It wasn't until a little bit later So after that youth circus program, the town I grew up in is kind of special. It has a circus history. And so the, even though it's called normal, so the uh, circuses that that were traveling, they would often winter in our town because it was a farming town. And so they'd have these big barns and they could set up their flying trapeze rigs in the barns for the winter. And so um, not only did we have have a youth circus program, but we also had a circus affiliated with the university, which is quite special. There's only two universities in the U.S. that have a circus. And so we had one of those. So after the youth, after I was in the youth circus, when I went on to university, I joined that circus, university circus called the Illinois State Gamma Phi Circus. And that's where I 
Sapoy. And it wasn't actually even part of the circus. There was just somebody there at circus practice doing poi. And that is where I first saw it. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of poi and also like how its traditional expression might differ from the type of poi that you'd see at a circus or at festivals? Yeah. So there's many different styles of poi. And, you know, the style that I was introduced to, there's maybe not so much a name for it, but I guess it's sort of this international style that doesn't really have a a cultural context, so to speak. But there's also the traditional Māori poi. The Māori are the indigenous people of Aotearoa, New Zealand. So it's not so much my place to speak on the whakapapa or the history of that, but I'm, I'll happily share what I know as an outsider. And I've been living in Aotearoa for seven years now or so. So my my observations on that <laughs> and what I know through um, knowledge that's been passed down to me is that, um, yeah, poi are a real tonga. They're a real treasure, a Māori tonga here in New Zealand. And they really represent Māori culture. They're storytellers of the culture. And so all the movements that you see with a poi are expressing a story. They're expressing, they're accompanied by waiata, by song. And those those poi actions are the, the visualization of the story that's being told. And you still see poi used in kapahaka and Māori performing arts today. And you can trace the history back quite a couple hundred years, although the earliest accounts were the written records that survived were by travelers who came over to New Zealand and were just writing their observations of what they saw. But a lot of it's passed down orally and a lot of those waiata and those songs are still alive today that talk about poi and use poi. So that, we can go more into the history if you want, but it's really um, quite special here in New Zealand. And then poi is also used across the globe and there's no record of how that transition happened, how it might've gone from New Zealand to anywhere else. In fact, it's possible. It's could have been something popping up independently. Like, you know, poi is just a I mean, it's just a weight on a cord. It's not just that. It's a lot of things, but like the object itself is just a weight on a cord that you spin in a circle. So like it could be that it just popped up somewhere else independently. But poi is a Māori is a Māori word. So that's a little bit of a clue because most people call it poi. And yeah, if I had to take a guess, I would say it all came from the, the New Zealand Māori poi, but we don't really know that. And yeah, it's used across the globe now and it has a lot of different forms. The object itself, you know, you might have seen like fire poi or glow poi or all sorts of poi going on and different styles of moving too. People infusing their own take on it, their own culture, infusing, you know, hip hop dancing in poi or martial arts in poi or rave culture, circus culture, a lot of different ways of moving going on. And it doesn't really have the same cultural context outside of New Zealand. So it's more of a tool for play, for performance, for fun, for exercise, and for me and a lot of other people for the therapeutic benefits as well. And so when did you know that you wanted to make studying the health benefits of poi your PhD topic? Oh, that's a good question. It kind of evolved slowly over time. So it, it took me a while to like understand the real like power of what was going on with poi. I started off just doing it myself and it just felt good. Like I didn't know anything about it. I was just spinning this thing in a circle and I was like, wow, this feels great. I really enjoy it. So I just kept doing it. And then I started teaching people, just sharing what I knew. And then they were feeding back to me that it felt good to them as well. And I was getting a lot of different kinds of feedback, everything from like, 
emotional stuff. Like, oh, I'm going through a divorce. And when I'm doing poi, I find it's the only time that I'm not thinking about that and that I'm, you know, feeling relaxed. So like physical stuff, like, oh, I have this injury or I sit at a computer all day and my posture feels better after I do poi. So when, when I was teaching, I was getting all this feedback, right? And also through my own journey, I was like, okay, starting to piece together, like, this is probably good for you. And then I wanted to share that with like more people. So I tried to bring poi to places when I was in the US, like to hospitals and rehab centers. And there was just like a lot of pushback. It was kind of like, who are you? And you know, what, what is this thing? And where's the research to kind of substantiate that it has proven health benefits, especially if you're working in the health industry in the health sector, you know, they need kind of clinical evidence, right? Anecdotal evidence isn't enough for something to be used as an intervention. So slowly, I just realized <laughs> if I could conduct like a rigorous clinical trial and I could publish in peer-reviewed journals, and I could kind of prove to the the medical community that POI was a valid therapeutic tool. I might be able to open the door for it in these places like hospitals and senior living facilities, places where something that, you know, it's such an affordable, simple, fun tool, uh, places where people could really benefit from it. And so, yeah, that's when I reached out. That probably took like, I don't know, 10 years or something. <laughs> that journey. And there was other things that I was doing with poi as well. Like during my master's degree, I invented, this is another story, but I invented a musical instrument that was poi that had like accelerometers and gyroscopes embedded inside. And it was sending data to the computer and generating audio. So I was like always like doing stuff with poi, but yeah, it took me a while to settle in on this PhD idea. And then I reached out to a couple of different schools, not, not really having a plan. And New Zealand was on my mind because I knew that Poi started in New Zealand. And so that felt important. So I just reached out to the University of Auckland. And I think pretty shortly after that, I was on my way there to New Zealand. Nice. And yeah, as you mentioned, you moved to Aotearoa, New Zealand, the home of Poi for your research, so that you could learn and collaborate with Māori as part of the research process. So would you like to share a bit about what you've learned along the way? Yeah, I'm still learning and, and listening every day and every step of the way. So I've had amazing support from the very early days during my PhD. I had a Māori advisor and have always worked closely with Māori, with Tangata Whenua, the people of the land and every every project Māori. I still have a, a team of amazing, an amazing team of Māori and Pākehā and all kinds of people supporting me, not just Māori, but it's been such a growing experience. I mean, just landing in New Zealand alone, the yeah, I figured like New Zealand, they speak English, you know, as a primary language in New Zealand, like it's, it'll be fine. But like the culture shock just in general, not to mention like finding my way with Māori Tikanga in particular was actually huge. Like I remember that I started teaching at the University of Auckland, like the day after I landed and I literally could not understand my students, just like the Kiwi, <laughs> like slang words and like the way they were speaking. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't understand. And then there was this other <laughs> layer on top of it of the American work culture and our kind of bluntness you know I'm like a very soft-spoken American but like <laughs> in New Zealand I was coming across as being really direct and really blunt and I just I didn't understand the nuances of even just communicating so I had a quite a rocky start people thought I was abrasive and it took me a long time just of having a lot of dialogues a lot of korero with people and listening and trying to understand completely different approach to sharing knowledge, to gaining trust with one another, to getting to know each other, to slowing down and listening, and even just working with 
older adults, which is what I did for my PhD, teaching poi to that population, observing how poi is already used in the fabric of life every day with the kuia and kamatua, with the elders, the Maori elders, taking time to observe that and how that's integrated into the fabric of life. I mean, it was just like, and and still to this day is like, is a massive learning. I don't know if that really like answered your question because it's, the learning feels so huge. Like, I don't know how to like just to distill it down, but I can say like, it's very different from like where I started when I first landed on on these shores. That makes a lot of sense. And I can imagine another layer as well is you were there to do a research project and some things are hard to quantify. Like if something is interwoven into the richness of life and culture, it's like, how do you document that in a scalable like, how do you put that on a graph on a PhD? Like, collecting evidence is quite a putting things in boxes process, but it seems like part of your learning is actually expanding your knowledge out, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I want to be clear that for my PhD, because it's not really my place to be studying Māori poi or, or anything around that. And so what I wanted to do was add this clinical evidence to kind of support or have another lens alongside Mataranga Māori, Māori knowledge, right? And so my, in terms of putting things in boxes, my PhD was a little bit easier to do that with because what I wanted to find out was does spinning this thing in a circle improve health? And so we did not have the richness. I wanted to isolate that as much as I could. And so there was no um, cultural context that, that, that was not coming into the into this PhD. And of course, it's like not that, simple. And I was also generating a lot of qualitative data alongside the quantitative data, because I think people's stories are important and it paints a fuller picture. Like I I did need numbers and I did need to produce like statistics, but also like I wanted to know how people were feeling. But yeah, just to be clear, I tried to isolate that activity, you know, that activity alone. So the, the way people were learning is like, we're learning this movement, you know, period. Like here's the poi, here's the move we're learning today. We're focused on just, uh, doing that move. And that was kind of the way the lessons were approached in the study. So none of the, it, the poi looked like socks, you know, they didn't look like Maori poi and the, we weren't going into that space with it, but a lot, but all that learning was very important for me and still is as a facilitator. And it was going on in the background and was incorporated into a lot of the writing that I did in the final dissertation. Nice. And, and yeah, I actually find it really interesting because I, I am Maori, I'm from New Zealand and I guess you do just get use of all all that being part of the cultural landscape and, you know, over here in Australia, I, I guess I, I miss that a bit. So, yeah, it's really interesting to hear someone coming from outside and just sort of, I don't know, learning about the, the nuance and the, yeah, yeah, the differences. And I love how you do share a lot of that cultural history on your website alongside contemporary stories. So there's definitely pathways for people to like dig in deeper. And I also really appreciate how many Maldi musicians and teachers that you have on your team as well. And you kind of celebrate them on your website too. And you've got into this a little bit about how just to make things graphable <laughs> for your study, you did have to kind of keep the poi as simple as possible. But also, you know, you've made this move across the world to honour the cultural history of this practice and to kind of separate out like what's still culturally appropriate and respectful for everyone to practice and kind of honouring the richness of this tradition. 
without just making it. Well, I was just wondering, like, if you that was one of the things that your supervisor helped you with and your team helped you with as well to kind of still honour the source of this practice while also share it in a way that's suitable for the people that you're working with and for your project. Absolutely. I think SpinPoi, which is the the social enterprise that I run now, to working with Poi to improve health and well-being, I think SpinPoi is in a really unique position to create a space for Māori and people who are not Māori to engage with and learn about Te Ao Māori, the Māori world, and Poi as a Tonga. And we're in this unique position because our team is mixed. We have outsiders and, <laughs> and we working alongside Māori. We have this research base, which is where our work comes from. I'm very clear that we specialize in working with Poi as a therapeutic tool. So that's the, that's the space that we're in. But that doesn't mean we can't create a home for everyone to acknowledge and engage in where Poi comes from and to learn about that and to include that in, in our practice. So for example, like, all my certified instructors, they have a, a, a karakia that one of my beautiful Māori instructors did an audio recording of. And a karakia is like an opening prayer that kind of says, it kind of blesses the space and says, okay, we all acknowledge that we're here together to do this work. So I have a, a one an opening prayer that all my certified instructors can play at the beginning of a session, for example. And that's something that's very important here in Aotearoa that will happen all the time. But outside of it, it's like, Karakio, what? Like, what? what is this thing? <laughs> so like small things like that that are actually really important. I feel like, yeah, Spin Poi is an amazing place to share those things with the world and uplift Poi as a Tonga. So yeah, it is something that I'm always striving to do. I've had a lot of support with. I've made a lot of mistakes with and I, you know, I own up to all of that and I'm continuing to learn and grow and I want to keep being in that space because I think it's important. And so just to cycle back to your research, I saw that you focused on older people and I was wondering why you chose that particular population. Yeah, when I was thinking about what to do for this PhD, it was like, okay, I know Poi like helps people. <laughs> what should I focus on? You know, sometimes when you have like too many options, it's just like, wow, like how do I narrow it in? So I was just thinking about where I could do the most good. And I was just kind of thinking about different populations and the aging population is just booming right now. And a huge problem is something that would be hugely helpful is if we had more preventative tools along with tools you can use once you, um, you know, to rehab something. And so I thought if Poi could actually improve quality of life for older people, because it's also, I know it's really accessible. So it's something people in all stages and all states of physical and cognitive ability can engage with, considering the boom in the aging population and all that, it could be used at home. It could be used anywhere. I just thought like this is a place where I could make a huge impact. So there's a lot of other places that I also could probably could have chosen and I probably could have said the same thing. But like, yeah, considering those factors, that's kind of how I narrowed in on that. Even the fact that you can practice it sitting down, it's really portable for the instructor to bring a bunch of poi, like I hula hoop and you need so much more space for that. And there's so many more possibilities for say people in that age group to slip and have a fall or someone to get hit in the face like of all of the circus arts it really seems like the one that's the most portable the most accessible and has like a really low cost barrier as well if you're trying to kit out a whole group so good choice <laughs> yeah totally although people do hit themselves in the face a lot still so oh, yeah. we share that <laughs> that still happens <laughs> And so do you want to tell us a little bit about the structure of your study? Because I thought that was really interesting too. 
Yeah. So like I was mentioning before, my goal with the study was to convince the medical community. So I focused on doing quite a rigorous standardized trial. I did a double blind randomized controlled trial, which means there's two control groups. One was doing poi, one was doing tai chi, and none of the people participating had engaged in those activities before. And a more robust study design would have been to have a third inactive control group, a group that was maybe just learning about poi or but not actually doing the activity. But um, I didn't have any funding to do my PhD. And in fact, I had to do it in multiple rounds just to try to like work and raise money and fund it. So to, to mitigate that, we had a, so they had to do a bunch of physical, cognitive and emotional tests. These were things like range of motion in your upper limb or the strength in your hands or your lower body or your memory, your working memory or ability to sustain your attention, stuff like that. So we had a baseline where they did all the tests and then they waited one month and they came back in and then they did all the tests again. And that was to test the stability, to test the stability of the tests using that word a lot. And so any measures that changed over that time, I didn't use moving forward because the, they improved due to, I don't know, people learning how to do the test or they just weren't stable measures. So that was a little bit of the study design. They did poi or tai chi twice a week for one month. And then they repeated the tests immediately after that one month. And then one month later, one month after the intervention period. And yeah, I was collecting that data from those that whole battery of tests, along with asking people questions, because like I said, I think it's important to know how people feel. So I was asking them to fill out various surveys along the way. And I made a documentary about the study. So I had a couple, like five or six people that I was interviewing kind of more in depth along the way too. I thought one of the things that was interesting in your questions or your results were the word pitches that you did between the Poi group and the Tai Chi group, where did people have a list of words they could choose from and the ones that more people chose showed up bigger in the final image? Like, is that how that measuring system works? So I was asking them after every lesson to just write down the three words that best described how they felt so they could write anything. And then it was my job, one of my millions of jobs, to look at those piles of words and aggregate them. And then, yeah, so the words that show up uh, bigger were the words that were said the most. And if anything was a like a very close synonym, I merged those into one pile and yeah the words clouds are very telling of the activities like the the tai chi group was a bit more unanimous in their feelings of being calm and, and relaxed and in the poi group you see just more variety of words some of some words which might have a negative connotation like uncoordinated or challenged or tired and, and then there's a lot of other words like fun progress relaxed was in there too a lot of different words in there which i think is telling of the experience. And yeah, I am definitely not here to say like poi is better than Tai Chi or something like that. Like they're just different activities, right? Which is great because there's different things for different people. But what was reported like from the poi group, all these words that seemed kind of negative. I asked longer form questions as well. And there was an area where they could write down if they felt any anything negative and an area where they could say if they felt anything positive. And all those words were in the positive section when they were writing their long form answers, they were like, oh, I felt really uncoordinated and it was really challenging. But when I got a move, uh, I felt so amazing afterwards and I really appreciated being challenged. And this is something that's particularly interesting with older adults because a lot of times, especially people living in senior centers, there's not a lot of challenging stuff going on there. Um, boredom is like a huge issue. 
And everyone likes, if the level of challenge is right, this goes into flow state a little bit, but if the level of challenge is right for you, everyone loves to be challenged. And that's actually where you see the benefit in terms of the brain. You need to be engaged. You need to be challenged. So yeah, not to say Tai Chi isn't challenging because it totally is, but boy, it's like you have this object, this physical object spinning around you. It's going to hit you, you know, if you're not doing it right, there's a consequence if you're not quite getting it. And so yeah, you have a little bit more like feedback there. Yeah. And I think you're, you're saying it's so powerful because it's one thing to start a practice at the beginning and for it to be relaxing and enjoyable and make you feel good and kind of bring your mind body awareness together. But it's a whole different journey when like you start something and it's hard at the beginning and then you feel yourself improving. Like there's a level of satisfaction that comes with that and also empowerment to like start on something and like gain mastery. Like, I think that's really awesome. And I think that it is also very helpful in terms of mental focus to have to focus on something to feel those improvements. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the benefits that came out in the results of the study. So there was three benefits that came out as statistically significant, which were balance, grip strength, so the strength in your hands, and the ability to sustain attention. And Anyone that's ever tried poi or any flow arts can probably relate because you you really do have to stay focused and that goes into flow state a little bit again. And to see cognitive, to see a cognitive benefit was really exciting, especially after such a short intervention, intervention period. And I do think you're right. Having those wins is really important. It's an endorphin rush. It's a boost. And it also, you know, it gamifies it a little bit like, oh, I got this move. Like, what's the next one? keeps you like coming back for more. So there's a lot of, a lot of benefit in something that's the right level of challenge for you, for sure. And like that group energy and solidarity as well, when everyone's like learning together and having their own mishaps, and then you're kind of like celebrating when the person next to you gets the move, even if you haven't got it yet. Absolutely. We hope you're enjoying our conversation with Kate and the positive effects of mindful and playful movement shared in an accessible way. It really struck a chord with us since it's very much in line with how we share yoga and aerial yoga at our home studio, Garden of Yoga. If you're based in Melbourne, you can join us in person, but we also share many of our classes online and offer tiered pricing for financial accessibility. We also have an online library of over 200 recorded classes, with many that you can check out for free. Head to our website, gardenofyoga.com.au to learn more about what we do. Another interesting thing that I noticed in your research as well, which hadn't occurred to me till I read it, was the benefit between like non-dominant side and your other side. So like left and right, and especially in the grip strength measures. And like, I know this from hula hooping, like it really makes you work your non-dominant side more. And I actually didn't think of that being something that would cognitively decline as you get older. So like great intervention there as well. Yeah, especially as we age and you just you get weaker in general, having strength and mobility and coordination in both sides is really important just for everyday functioning, especially a lot of people experiencing a stroke, yeah, being able to just, you know, grab onto a handrail if you're falling or being able to open a jar or put on your clothes, <laughs> like any of these things require uh, some level of ambidexterity or that, or that level is, is helpful for your health and well-being. So that's a, that's a cool measure. And there is like nowhere to hide with poi if you're working with two hands. You can work with one hand at a time and that's good too. But if you're doing two hands, it's like your non-dominant side really has to be up there. You know, otherwise you're not gonna be able to execute the move. So a lot of my participants 
wrote about that. Like, wow, I was surprised how uncoordinated my non-dominance I was. Like, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> and I saw that you kind of had to keep things simple for your study. So you worked with healthy older adults. Have you worked with any particular health conditions since then, like stroke or maybe dementia sufferers? Yes, yes, I have. I've done quite a bit in the area of Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, also early childhood education. <laughs> I can dive into any of those, but what I can say, like across the board, is that poise seems to work literally everywhere. Like I've never like gone to a population and done poi and had like negative feedback about it. So that's cool. If anyone's thinking of like doing poi with literally anyone, it's probably gonna be great. But there's a lot of like really promising stuff out there. I wish more people were interested in doing kind of research in this poi health space because it's kind of amazing. Like some of the stuff that I've seen with Parkinson's and how poi can help the the gross motor movements can help with things like gait, like with walking is like just amazing. And with dementia as well, like at all stages of dementia, because poi is all about being in the moment, you know, it's playful. And so it just, I think it has wide reaching applications. Same with youth with just in, just in terms of coordination and motor skills at that age. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Have you done much work with neurodiversity as well? Like I, a lot of my friends from the hooping world are neurodiverse and especially ADHD. Like, have you worked with different types of brains? I mean, everyone has a unique brain anyway, but I'm just wondering if there's been any themes that have kind of come up through the different populations you've worked with. Yeah, I haven't done any work with ADHD specifically, but I have two certified instructors who are working in that space. So they know more about that. And I have done some work around like mental health in general, but in terms of neurodiversity, like I haven't done any research in that space, but I know a lot of people are drawn to poi that are on the spectrum in, in some way. And I was actually working with another company who has like a something similar to like a fidget spinner. I was helping them do some research on that um, with like ADHD in particular. So I'm sure there's like vast benefits for that. Uh, and I'm sure there's vast benefits there that I have not explored that maybe some other people have explored that should be explored. <laughs> maybe it's where I'll go next. Who knows? And so we've mentioned this a little bit and we're the Flow Artist Podcast, but the idea of the flow state is something we're really interested in. Would you kind of like to share your impression of your own state of mind while you're practicing poi? Okay, I'm going to be, I'm really happy to talk about flow state, but I'm going to be honest with you that poi for me, I can no longer, I only do like poi for work at the moment. <laughs> I can't, I can't get there anymore. It's Yeah, I've, I've ruined it for myself while also making it even more beautiful in other ways. So but flow state in general, yes, I can um, remember when I used to get into flow state with poi and I still get into a flow state with many other activities. I play music and other stuff. And um, I think for me, being in the present moment, just in general, it's really important. It is the only thing kind of that exists or that is guaranteed to us, right? The past is the past. Future isn't, isn't guaranteed to us. And so I always try to stay present. Whatever I'm engaging with, I really try to stay present and have gratitude for the present moment. And I think being in a flow state just exemplifies that because suddenly you're hyper-focused, you're not so aware of time. It's a easy way to drop all those worries about, you know, how am I going to make ends meet or like, what am I going to eat later or whatever. It's like that stuff just doesn't have, there's no room in your brain for it. And so it's just like a conduit to being in the present moment. 
And I think that kind of training translates out, you know, when you're not necessarily doing poi to when you're doing other things. So for me, I love that feeling. And I also love the feeling of learning. So if I have one addiction, it's like learning things. I, I just, and I, I love being a beginner. I don't mind being bad at something. It's just like such an interesting experience to be like, whoa, like I suck at this. Like, this is wild. Okay. Let me like figure out how I might be able to get better. It's like for some people that's super not fun and they feel really uncomfortable. And for me, I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. So like flow state is part of that as well, because when you're a beginner, you're learning fast. Um, you're just absorbed in the process and the joy of learning. It's not focused on the end goal or on an outcome. And that's me. Like a lot of the times, like, I don't, I don't care what I achieve, although it's like fun to have goals, but I really just love being in the process of learning. So flow is all of that. That was actually one of the questions that I had for you, like how your own relationship with your pro practice shifted when it became like your study and your work and whether you had to find a new hobby just to be just for you, no, unconnected to all of those other aspects of your life, like just for fun. (laughs) Yeah, this is a hard space. Like I believe, you know, everyone should follow their passion. And I believe there is a way to kind of sustain yourself doing things you're passionate about. But then there is a fine line when you are required to be, you know, financially stable doing this passion. (laughs) That's tricky. And that's something that like in the entrepreneurial space, you know, I think could be like talked about more. So yes, I have a totally different relationship with Poi. But what's awesome is that I'm in love with Spin Poi as a uh, business and what we do and how we help people, you know, across the globe. I'm in love with that. And I'm in love with helping people. And so I don't need to be in love with doing poi necessarily. And of course, I still really believe in poi as a practice. So like, I'm in a fine place with it, even though, yeah, I've lost my own kind of personal poi practice. Oh, this is like a big thing with people when they become yoga teachers as well, because often it starts out as their self-care their spiritual practice, something they do to nurture themselves, and then it becomes your business and sometimes a source of stress and pressure in your life because of that. And even just physically, if you're teaching a lot of classes through the week, you don't have the same energy for your own practice or you have to choose things that are more about rest so that you have the energy to teach all of your classes. And like I think sometimes people in the yoga world don't feel comfortable acknowledging that shift because they feel like they're not such a good yogi if they aren't practicing every morning at 5am the way they used to and then like teaching four classes that day. So I think it's really like helpful for other people just to kind of normalize that process of when something that was your creative outlet or your space for your own relaxation becomes your vocation you know, sometimes you just got to find another hobby or you've got to find another way of doing that practice that feels more like balance. Yeah, totally. I think as long as you're taking care of yourself, you know, it's, it's all good. <laughs> However, that like needs to happen. And I'm, I'm at peace with the way that I engage with Poi and I love all my other hobbies. And yeah, I, I think being honest about that stuff is really important. I give a lot of talks around entrepreneurship and I think peering behind the curtain, you know, <laughs> not saying like, yes, this is a magical thing. I'm just like doing my passion and like poise bliss. Like, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like burnout is real. And there's like a lot of challenges along the way. And like, this is one of them. So I think being really honest and vulnerable, that's super important. Yeah. Like that whole work is play cliche. And it's like, well, your work can be fun and it can be powerful, but there's still going to be like parts of it that feel like work and that sometimes feel like a grind and exhausting. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Do you find now that you get a bit more into that flow state as a teacher, like you're kind of in the moment with the practice and kind of really connecting with someone else as you share, and then you still have that experience of not being aware of time, just being fully in the zone, but it's kind of like you're on the ride with someone else? Hmm. No. (laughs) (laughs) I think like the teaching that I'm doing these days, so I'm basically only doing, I'm training trainers. So I'm not on the ground teaching poi anymore. There's just not enough time. And I felt I could be of more use if I was training the people who are then living in their communities and they're going to go back into their communities and share this. And so I think when I'm doing those facilitator trainings is like, there's too many things to keep track of. Like I'm totally not in a, in a, it's different than teaching like a one-on-one poi lesson, for example. Yeah. I'm like, you know, worried about the time and I'm worried about Zoom like crashing and I'm worried about like a million other things. So for me, it's yeah, so it's not that. It's not flow state. Not yet. Maybe it can be. I also am quite nervous. I get nervous for speaking. I'm like nervous right now. So may- maybe it's also that. It's just like my own nerves and insecurity. Who knows? Oh, I think it's also Zoom. Like when you're standing right with someone, it's a lot easier to kind of be in the zone with them. But when it's transcribed through a couple of layers of technology and you're seeing like 30 little faces on the screen, like that's a much different mental experience of transmission. That's true. Zoom fatigue is real. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about hooping is it's a style of movement where you can be really creative and really flow and have fun when you're feeling like that. But also there's lots of drills and lots of techniques that you can practice when you're not feeling inspired, but you still want to move. And that's helpful as well. If you're in a bit of a stressed or scattered state, you can do something that you know that can often feel quite regulating mentally. Is that how you feel when you're doing poi or do you kind of have a different experience? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because those are two totally different types of experiences, right? One like one when you're feeling like you need to like express something <laughs> and another when you're like, ah, I just want to like lose myself and, and like just do this on repeat. So I think poi definitely like has that element and I've always loved drilling. Like I think some people find that part of it boring, but for me, Maybe it's like because the world feels so chaotic and like you're always uprooted. So like just practicing a physical tactile thing over and over again to me, it's like, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, boy has both of those things and I do feel both of them. And I feel that in the, in the business as well. There's like the part that's like repetitive grind. There's a the part that's creative. I think I feel that in a lot of outlets in life. I should also say, I don't know why I didn't really mention this, but I do still practice Maori style poi. Because that is a style of poi that is new to me. And so it's very different from the kind of international style. And I still love practicing that. And I, I'm part of a, I just started going. I shouldn't say I'm part of that. Sorry, that's a huge overstatement. I was just <laughs> invited to attend a few kapahaka practices of a local group nice. here. So I've been going to those and I love that. So there is still a way that I am practicing poi. It's just, to me, I feel like it's a totally different activity, even though it's like still poi. So it didn't come to my mind. And I'm kind of interested, how do you feel your work's been received by particularly the the Maori community? It's varied. Yeah. I still have a lot of support, overwhelming support, but I do get a lot of pushback which is to be expected. I think there's like two things. There's a couple, there's a couple of things going on. Like Anytime you're doing something new, there's going to be pushback just in general, like regardless of any cultural appropriation or any concerns there. So there's that and taking poi into a new space. But then there's also 
you know, I cannot change my fucking papa, my background. I can't change who I am or where I came from. And so I'm on the wrong side of history just in general. And so to be running a business that is using uh, Maori tanga and being who I am will always be problematic. I, you know, willingly walked into that space. You know, I kind of understood that even before I came here, that that's the space that I was going to be in. And I think some of those challenging conversations is where a lot of growth happens. And I like having that kōrero. But, and, and then there's some people that are just like, you know, they're just angry and they, they don't really want to have a dialogue. They just, just want to want to vent. And that's okay too. Like I, I can make, I can make space for that. And I think some of it is just not taking things personally as well. So when people do come at me or for me, I know it's not coming, it's coming from a space of trauma in the past, you know, and um, I can't heal all that and nor is it my place. So all I can do is be genuine, speak from the heart, I use that as a measure of, you know, everything I do is, is this thing that I just did something that um, felt right to me. And if it is, then like, I can defend that going forward. It's like this, I might've made a mistake even, but like this thing that I did felt right or it felt good. And that's why I did it. So yeah, it's a challenging space. I used to get kind of hurt by it a lot more, but now I've gone through that process and I can not take things so personally, but yeah, in general, really good, <laughs> really good reception from Maori and a, like a lot of support. And I have Maori certified instructors. And um, yeah, I've, I look forward to exploring that space more. Like I feel really lucky to still be in New Zealand where I can still be in, engaging closely in that space. Nice. And surely, yeah, I feel like there must be a lot of support of people. Well, I mean, I guess you know, you're affirming this cultural practice and, and sort of you know, proving that it's got health benefits. I, I can't see why people would want to disagree with that, at least. <laughs> yeah, the baseline is definitely, the core, you know, is definitely good. Like, let's improve health and well-being through poise. Like, not many people can argue with that. So I've always got that going for me. And so have you found that your reception with, like, medical establishment has shifted now that you kind of have your own research behind you and... I guess, have established yourself a bit more. It's more in the media. Like you mentioned at the beginning that you came up against people who are like not very open to the idea of using poi as a health intervention. Has that shifted at all now? Definitely. I mean, I think for better or worse, when you have doctor in front of your name, like I'm, I'm an academic doctor, not a medical doctor, but uh, that title, you know, it has some clout. And then of course the, the clinical research published in the right journals has some clout and so that does open doors but then also the the work itself has opened doors so like you know through that phd research i then went on to do some studies at different senior living facilities at um, two hospitals in auckland and so just those programs you know growing their own legs and proving themselves to work so it's kind of like a a combination of things that's now just feeding on itself and and growing and growing so yes the relationship is different although it's still a ball on a court i mean you know some it, I'm still like in the, the danger zone of it being a little bit like, uh, oh, I don't want to say like, okay, no, I'm not even going to say, I was going to say like a hippie, like, like alternative. I don't want to like, all those things are valid. But when you're trying to convince the medical community, like the thing itself is a little bit on the edge, right? Of Like, okay, like, I, do I trust this thing? <laughs> this doesn't look very serious, <laughs> which is great. It's great that it's not serious because fun is like really, play is really important. It has profound health benefits. but. Anyway, yep, there's it's still a struggle, but it's, it's getting there. 
It probably helps as well that you are in a city the size of Auckland versus a city the size of like Chicago, where there probably is a bit more of a smaller pool of people, closer network. People would know other staff at the hospital that you ran your program at last time. So that's a little bit of an in for the next time. Like, has it felt like, does it felt like a friendly community? Yeah, I think being here is a little bit of a double-edged sword because Poi has a certain meaning here because of its roots as a Tonga. And so when I talk about what I'm doing, when I say Poi in Aotearoa, everyone is singing Kapahaka and Māori Poi. So there's some explaining that has to go on there and in a way that opens doors, but then in another way it creates pushback. Whereas if I was in the US or somewhere, it's just like, what is this thing I've never heard of? Okay, it's a therapeutic tool, looks cool. So there's that aspect going on in New Zealand in particular. But yeah, it is it is smaller. I mean, in terms of connections, it's cool. In terms of market size, it's harder in a way because there's less stuff, right? There's less senior living facilities. There's less people. So yeah, it has its like pros and cons, but it's it's been friendly. And like I have done no formal marketing so far. Like everything with Spinpoi has happened through word of mouth. So maybe that's saying something. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's super impressive. Like you've done so much. Yeah, the some of the opportunities and the media coverage and stuff has been yeah, it's been a pretty wild ride. <laughs> and so I saw that you are taking Spinpoi on a bit of a tour, including coming to Australia. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, that's true. I think like I mean, COVID is still happening, but I it feels like safer to travel now. And I think a lot of people are excited to travel, myself included. I finally got to go home to see my family recently. So keeping all that in mind, I was just um, excited to travel. And I know there's people in a lot of places that have wanted spin poi training. So I'm going, going out into the world. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I will be in Melbourne doing a specifically a certification course. So these are pretty small courses. There's only like eight spaces and four of them are actually filled already. but so it's a three-day yeah, training course on how to work with POI as a therapeutic tool. So you learn about um, the, a lot of practical stuff around learning styles and the actual movements and how to, you know, safe practices and um, the research and all that. And hoping to do a couple other workshops in Australia, but they're not, they're not set yet. So I can't. You could go to spinpoi.com and you could check out all the details because I'm sure by the time this podcast comes out, they will all be there. And if people signed up to your mailing list as well, then they get an email if there's new info. Absolutely. Yes, you can do all that on spinpoi, spinpoi.com. Nice. Okay, so we've got one more question. It's usually what we ask at the end of all of our episodes. So I guess if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Everything I've learned and everything I teach. Oh, okay. This seems the word that comes to mind. I should just go, I should go with my, in my gut here. The word that comes to mind is actually gratitude. And maybe it's because I, I just did some reflecting on this as Spinpoi turned three as a company. And I just felt it's like everything that I've done is on the back of a lot of things that happened before me. And on the community around me, it's on the backs of people believing in what I'm doing. And I just feel so grateful for that, even though I'm a solo founder and sometimes the journey feels really lonely. I also feel really supported and grateful for anyone that has ever shared time with me, that has ever listened, that has ever shared knowledge, like grateful for this 
talk that we're having right now, for you being open to just, you know, speaking with me and letting me share my story. Like, I'm grateful for all of it. So, yeah, maybe it's just gratitude. Awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared and everything that you do and for talking to us today. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you making the time and space for me. And yeah, thanks. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Kate Regal Van West. As you might have heard in the interview, Kate will be running a three-day SpinPoise certification course here in Melbourne in late January. You can find out more at spinpoi.com. We'll include the link in our show notes on our website, podcast.flowartist.com. You can also leave a comment there if you like. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be taking a bit of a break over summer and we'll be back with a new episode in the new year. So sending you all of our best festive wishes. You can also find me on Instagram at ranlovesyoga and joe at gardenofyoga. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Check out gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us. He aroha nui maua kia koto katoa. Big, big love. Love.